Good morning, and welcome to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN, where our goal every week is to entertain, enlighten, and expose you to information that can lead to positive change in your life. I'm Larry Hardesty. My guest this morning is a dynamic young man. Brandon P. Fleming is the assistant debate coach at Harvard University and founder CEO of the Harvard Diversity Project. Through his struggles and perseverance, Brandon is making a difference in the lives of our young people, and I'm excited to share his story with you this morning. We always suggest that you have a pencil, paper to jot down a few notes or phone numbers, and I think you will believe and hear some things this morning that you want to write down. So have those information and have those things ready. And thanks for joining us. When we return to begin this edition of New York Sports and Beyond, we'll talk about sports and education, kind of, next on 98.7 ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond. I'm Larry Hardesty. Brandon P. Fleming was an at-risk youth and college dropout that turned award-winning educator. He is assistant debate coach at Harvard University and founder CEO of the Harvard Diversity Project. Now, Fleming was recruited to join the Harvard debate faculty at the age of 26. Harvard later approved Fleming's proposal to establish a new department within the university system called the Harvard Diversity Project. It's an unprecedented pipeline program that the Harvard Debate Council adopted as its subsidiary. Fleming now leads an executive staff and board that has raised a million dollars to enroll over 100 students of color into Harvard's International Summer Debate Residency on a full scholarship. Join me in saying good morning to Mr. Brandon P. Fleming, the assistant debate coach at Harvard University and founder and CEO of the Harvard Diversity Project. Brandon, thanks for a couple of minutes this morning. Welcome. Hey, brother. Thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege to be here. Brandon, I was struck by one of the articles that said you were an at-risk teen. Explain to me the path of an at-risk teen to the assistant debate coach at Harvard University. Yeah, man. Well, it's, it's been one heck of a journey. You know, I tell people quite often, it, it's very ironic the way I even landed in education because, you know, if you imagine the worst student you've ever seen in the classroom, that was me. Um, so, you know, I, I grew up uh, an at-risk youth, you know, at a very early age. I got tied into um, gangs and drugs and, and violence and uh, was very much consumed with the lifestyle of, of the streets. You know, the only thing that really, um, you know, kept me from going to juvenile detention, you know, was uh, basketball, um, which really saved my life. You know, I had some coaches that saw that I had a promising um, athletic future and um, they took me under their wing and they nurtured me and positioned me to become a um, division one college athlete. Um, and so I was on that trajectory. Um, to play ball um, at Liberty University. And uh, when I got there my freshman year for training camp, um, I suffered a career-ending knee injury mm. that quickly derailed my career, and um, it was abruptly over. And so I ended up, um, you know, I was left with school. I hated school. I quite honestly didn't learn anything in school because my teachers had just passed me along all throughout high school and gave me grades to stay on the basketball court. So here I am now in college with basically a middle school education level. I barely passed the SATs in order to qualify for college. And so, um, you know, being left with school, I didn't, I didn't want to be there. You know, outside of basketball, I really had no purpose. Um, that's how I felt. Um, and my purpose certainly was not tied to school. And so I subsequently um, became a dropout. You know, went from being an at-risk youth to now a college dropout and spent the next two years of my life 
um, working in a vitamin factory on an assembly line for 10 hours a day and six days a week. Um, and that was the most painful experience of my life. And, and at that moment, you know, I felt like I had proved everybody right about me. You know, all of those who said I would never amount to anything beyond athletics, those who said that they could never see me graduate in college. You know, I thought I proved them all right. Um, and that was difficult for me to live with. And so after I sunk into a depressive abyss, um, I decided to, to end it all. You know, and I actually attempted suicide, but but thankfully I was not successful. Wow. Okay. Couple of things. Um, what was it that didn't allow you to go back? So often, Brandon, as you know, we we replay what we know. When we get in trouble, we'll go back to what was safe that worked out. You did not go back to the gangs. You did not go back to the community. What you did was at least you went forward why didn't you face that temptation to go back because i'm sure it was there you know i think it had uh there was two things i think well it was environment you know one i was in a after i dropped out you know i i went um back to live with my uh my aunt um who was in south carolina so when i was involved in you know the the drugs and the gangs and all that that was actually when i was in dc Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got out of that environment. That was one. But, you know, interestingly, though, those same guys that I was in the streets with um, were, were the same guys who um, actually pushed me to see more mm-hmm. in myself. You know, and, and it got to a point where, um, yeah, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm writing a memoir and I talk about, you know, in the memoir about how those guys that I was in the streets with, they saw that I had a, a future in basketball and they didn't want to compromise that. So it got to the point where they stopped giving me drugs um, and they wouldn't allow me to sell drugs for them anymore either. Um, you know, and they wanted me to focus on, on getting out of the streets, you know? So, um, so when they did that, you know, I went several years where I was clean and I was focusing on basketball um, and my future. And so that's honestly what, what did it for me as far as um, being able to um, pull myself out of the streets. It's so fascinating that you hear stories like that a lot, Brandon, where it's it's folks in the streets sometimes that see more for you than you see in yourself. And as it turns out, those guys actually, because they they knew that you were doing that because you could, they saw that you had more skills and the better life path ahead of you probably than you did. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, and that's what they used to tell me. And they're like, you know, um, we're, we're doing this because we don't have any other options. You know, um, but but you you got a whole life ahead of you. You got a whole world that you can conquer, man. And they they believed in me as being the one who could can make it out of that life. Brandon, speak to somebody this morning who was where you were, that you were disappointed, you were ready to commit suicide to end your life. What stopped you? What happened? And speak to that person that may be feeling lost right now. You know, it all happened. What what kind of spawned that downward spiral was when I was on the assembly line one day and um, there was a, a woman who was working on that assembly line with me. And, you know, she she was kind of channeling this uh, Medea type of energy, you know, mm-hmm. them, them old school grandmothers, you know, she came and popped me upside my head and said, boy, what you doing in this factory? And um and I said, I mean, what you mean? I'm 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 working. And she's like, No, what are you doing in this factory? How old are you? I told her I was eighteen years old. She said, Why aren't you in school? And I said, I was in school, but I dropped out. And she looked at me and she said, You did what? 
she said, you did what? And she grabbed me and she said, I want you to look around this factory right now. I want you to look at all these people you see who are two and three times your age. She said, do you understand what they would have done for an opportunity to have the very thing that you willingly gave up? She said, she said to me, she said, you threw away your golden ticket. And, and that's when it hit me. I was like, Oh my goodness. You know, I mean, because the thing is, you know, I would say to those people, we, we have two choices. You know, we, we can either do what we have to do now um, so we can do what we want to do later, or we will be stuck doing what we don't want to do for the rest of our lives. Mm. But, but the problem is there are so many people who live in a perpetual present where, where they're not able to see beyond the, the present moment. They're not be able to see long term to the future because a lot of people are stuck in a mindset of survival. You know, when, when you're in a survivalist mentality, you know, you don't plan for the future. You don't think about your long-term goals. You, you think about the moment, you know. And so uh, for those people, man, it's, it's incumbent upon us, you know, who make it out of those situations to, to, to go get what we need and go back. You know, that's what I tell people all the time. You know, when people ask me, what's my greatest accomplishment? Yeah, I'm grateful um, to have made it to the Ivy League. But my greatest accomplishment is that when I made it to the Ivy League, I came back for our people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're all supposed to do. No question. It's the voice of Brandon P. Fleming. He's the assistant debate coach at Harvard University, founder and CEO of the Harvard Diversity Project. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. All right, Brandon, let's continue now. You, you, you survived. Thank God for that. Moved on, and now God, yeah. uh, let's talk about your faith in a high, in in your faith, and how that helped you get to your education and continue that. Yeah, so you know when I was laying in the hospital bed with tubes attached to my arms and a stream of tears falling down my face, um, I was looking up at the ceiling, and, and I made a promise to myself, and I made a promise to God. And I say, you know, if I'm ever given another opportunity, you know, I promise you I'll do it differently. I'll go harder than I've ever gone for anything in my life. And and I needed a miracle to be able to go back to school because I had flunked out. I had no financial aid. Um, and that miracle happened. And, and that miracle was actually my mother. You know, my mom uh, was in the military and, and those, you know, um, veterans received uh, military benefits called the GI Bill, where mm-hmm. a parent, a parent, you know, after their military career can go to college, you know, so they can start a new life or they can actually transfer their benefits to their children. And so my mom, you know, the, the woman who I put through more grief than anybody throughout my life, the woman who, you know, was so stressed and and was so um, discouraged that she was willing to try anything, including sending me off to not sure if you're familiar with that uh, reality show, Scared Straight. Yeah. <laughs> she oh, yeah. actually she tried to send me off to Scared Straight. You know, she didn't know what else to do. I wore my mother out. You know, but but when she saw me in in a position of desperation, she came in and she saved my life. You know, um, by making a sacrifice. You know, sacrificing her own education and her own future so that I could have another second chance. You know, and so um, I was really grateful. You know, I know that was not by happenstance. I know it was divine. You know, I I knew that it was you know the the universe pulling me closer and closer to my destiny and whatever it is that I was called to be. 
It's fascinating. It, it, it's a fascinating story. Um, Brandon, it's, you are a blessing that you're here. And well, sometimes you, I know that, you know, whatever you went through and the success you're having now, it's funny. Everybody's talking about your success now as if it was overnight. It's about 20, 20 25 years to be an overnight success, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, I, I, I say that, I say that all the time, man, you know, because the thing is that a lot of people, they, they get to see the product, but mm -hmm. they don't get to see the process, Yeah, you know, and, and, and the process, man, is, is the true gift. Um, it's, it's the gift that we are given, um, and, and the gift that we are supposed to give to somebody else, you know, t teaching them, you know, um, about our mistakes so that they don't have to follow those same paths, you know, and, and I think that's what it truly means to, to be an educator, you know, and when we do that, then the things we've been through, you know, it's a price well paid. And for you to be able to reach out to young people who may not like school, you're able to share with them in a unique way to reach them in a unique perspective because they were you. You were them. They were me, man. <laughs> and, so, and so you know what that thought process is and you can share that. And it is, you know, it's unfortunate because what do my parents tell you? I can show you better than I can tell you. Yeah. Um, you, you can tell, we can tell them, we tell them, we know we, some of us have gone through it, but unless you've walked in those shoes, Brandon, sometimes kids don't really listen until they know that you really understand that you're not just giving them lip service. You know, young people don't care what you know until they know that you care. That's you know, exactly. I mean, there's so many, so many times, you know, we, we talk at, young people um we even talk to young people but we don't talk with them and, and what does it mean to talk with them you know the the greatest unifier is language you know it's it's what brings people to together it's what what allows people to understand each other it's what creates a sense of intimacy you know being able to speak someone else's language and and that's what we have to do you know so often there's this um, you know, there's this notion that young people are not interested. You know, we blame them for being uninterested. But one of the things that I tell people is that, you know, there's a difference between being disinterested and being disengaged. Mm -hmm. You know, it is it is our responsibility as adults to engage young people, um, to, to invite them in and to pull them in. You know, um, we can't just do a poor job at engaging them and, and blame them and say, oh, well, they're not interested. Um, well, when have you ever become passionate or interested in something that's not personal? And so for, for me, one of the things that I've learned throughout my educational journey um, is how to make academics personal. Mm -hmm. and, and when we do that, we actually get to meet young people where they are. Yeah. And we'll talk about that in a couple of minutes. Brandon P. Fleming's my guest, assistant debate coach at Harvard University and founder CEO of the Harvard Diversity Project. You're listening to New York Sports and Beyond here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Next on New York Sports and Beyond, we'll explore how Brandon got to be a debate coach before he landed at Harvard. It's interesting. We'll share that next with you on 98.7. ESPN. Welcome back to New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Larry Hardesty. Let's conclude my discussion with Brandon P. Fleming. He's the assistant debate coach at Harvard University and founder CEO of the Harvard Diversity Project. Brandon, your education continues. What pointed you in the direction of debating? 
because for you to be the assistant debate coach, that means you've done some debating in your lifetime. Yeah, you, you want to know something very funny. You know, my, my story in my life is full of so many ironies. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to share with you perhaps one of the biggest. Um, yes, I am the assistant debate coach at Harvard University. But a fun fact is that I was the worst debater you could have ever seen. <laughs> and, and in fact, my kids, my kids laugh at me because I share it with them that I actually never won a single debate in my life. Wow. Never. I was I was the worst debater, you know. I so I ended up. Um, when, I mean, when I went to college, when I went back to college, man, I was in college with a middle school education level. I didn't know how to read well. I didn't know how to write well. You know, I I went and you know just kind of um, became a fledgling debater because I saw the movie The Great Debaters and it inspired me and because you know I had always been a competitor I had no way after you know my injury I didn't have anywhere to channel or redirect my competitive inclinations and so when I saw debate and it was aggressive and it was powerful I said wow you know if only this was a real thing I had never heard of it before you know and I found out that my college actually had a debate team so just on a whim I went and tried out um and luckily I, I made the team but when I started to compete, man, it was the most embarrassing experience I ever had in my life. Um, I mean, I got on stage and I froze. Um, I couldn't keep up, you know, and it was it was honestly a miserable experience. But then I, I kept at it and it started to transform me mm-hmm. um, and it started to transform me so much. It taught me how to find my voice. It taught me how to find my identity. You know, and and I was sitting there like, wow, you know, I've been in school for all these years from K through 12. And why is it that no teacher was ever able to do this for me? Why am I just now starting to find myself in academics, you know? And um, it, it, interestingly, you know, when, when I when I discovered that, I said, well, you know, there's nothing that I can do about that in my own life. But there's something that I can do for somebody else. I ended up quitting the debate team because I started teaching debate to inner city youth while I was in college Mm. and it started, it started in a garage of a warehouse, you know, and it was just these five kids in my neighborhood, you know, who were struggling academically. One of them had just failed a grade. Another one, one was getting ready to drop out. They were all considered, you know, at risk. And so when I saw them, I saw myself and I told their parents, I said, Hey, I just want to meet with them, you know, on Saturday. And next thing you know, we started meeting Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. And I got there one day and it wasn't five kids. It was like 10. Mm-hmm. And I was like, uh, who in the world are y'all? Where did y'all come from? <laughs> they said, oh, they said, well, these, these are our friends. And I said, all right, cool. Let's do it. Man, a couple of Saturdays afterwards, it went from 10 to like 15. Then from 15 to 20. Then eventually they were like 30 inner city youth voluntarily showing up for Saturday school. Where have you ever seen that? Mm. You know, and so, and it's because, you know, I was teaching these kids how to find their voices in the same way that I was learning to find mine, you know, and those kids, when I started with them, their their cumulative GPA was a 1.2. In just nine weeks, they went from a 1.2 to a cumulative 3.5. Every single one of them made an AB honor roll for the first time in their lives. And their administrators and their teachers and reporters all came and asked me, how did you accelerate these kids at such a rapid rate? I told them it's easy. I taught them how to debate. Unbelievable. Yeah. Brandon, it sounds like you gave these young people an option that they could share what they were thinking, 
how to express themselves in a different way than what other people had told them, or maybe nobody had told them they had another way to express themselves. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and one of the things that I often share, man, is that, you know, one of the things that we're wrestling with when it comes to black students is the inferiority complex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and the thing is, the reason why it's so important to help young people find their voices is because where where a man has no voice, he really does not exist. Yep. You know, I mean, he he can be present and still not exist because inferiority. It's an induced consciousness whose physical manifestation begins with silence. And so, so many young people, black kids are are in classrooms and they feel silent. They're in communities and they feel silent. They're in this country and they feel silent. But, But something happens when you tap into the faculties of a young mind and you activate their curiosity and you help them find their voices and you teach them how to use it. Mm-hmm. That's when a young person begins to own his or her own education. Um, and that itself is transformative. And it's preparation, Brandon. It's it's understanding, knowing. And as you mentioned, you know, go, let's go back. Let's go from your own example about, you know, the, the lack of, you know, things that were available to you that may have not been in other communities. And so when you're not prepared, that's a tremendous jump when you go from high school to college. And as you know, Brandon, they don't care whether you make it to class or not. You are on your own. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And the workload quadruples, you know, you might get a, a, read a book for a semester. (laughs) You read, I remember when I first walked in and we had this big lecture hall, Brandon, the professor said, here's your syllabus. Here's this book. Go buy this book. And, uh, Finish that book, and we'll talk about it on on Wednesday. Well, that was Monday, Brandon. That book was four hundred pages. <laughs> I'm like, you, I got to, and that yeah, was brother. one class, one class, and, and, and you know, and 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 it was it was even it was terrible for me because check this out, I was an English major. Okay, and and the only and the only reason why I chose English when I went back to college, you know, I said, you know, I'm looking at this list of majors. I don't know what any of them mean, and I picked the mm-hmm. one word that I recognize. <laughs> I saw English, and I said, well, I speak English, so how difficult can it be? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I can relate to you, brother, because you know, I had to read the Odyssey and the Iliad, and you know, all, all types of uh, literature. You know, that was four hundred and five hundred and six hundred pages. So I can relate to you on that, brother. And when we aren't prepared for that, Brandon, we're asking for failure. You understand what I'm saying? Because nobody has, nobody's prepared us for that. Nobody told me that's what I was walking into. And sometimes as athletes, okay, we look, it's okay. We'll give you the help, but sometimes you need more than the help because they owe you more than that. You're representing the school. You know what I'm saying, Brandon? They owe you more than just that with your education. But I'm fascinated with how you started the Harvard Diversity Project. Tell me about that. Well, well, you know what, man, you know, even and if I can just comment on the last thing you said, because Mm -hmm. it it is it is my athletic training that taught me how to be a scholar. Mm. And and, and the reason why is because, like I mentioned to you, that when I was in in college, when I went back the second time, you know, I had so many learning gaps, man. I mean, I I couldn't I couldn't keep up. Um, But there was something that my coach said to me back in um, high school that resonates with me to this day. 
Um, you know, I always knew when I was younger that I was never going to be very tall. You know, I knew I was only going to grow to be about, you know, five, nine. And so as a result, you know, when I was, uh, you know, like a freshman, I used to always get my shot blocked, you know, because I would drive past defenders and get to the lane and get my shot tossed to the Raptors by some seven footer. And it would anger me, mm-hmm. you know, and, and my coach, you know, I would go to my coach and I'm, like, Man, I'm tired of getting my shot blocked. And he said, he looked, he said, look at me, son. He said, we don't complain. We compensate. Mm. He said, so he said, so what are you going to do about it? And he told me about strength shoes. And I worked out, I did plyometrics with strength shoes every single day for hours and hours and hours for, for over a year. Um, and maybe about a, a year and a half to two years later, <clears throat> I was able to jump out the gym. I was able to play. I was able to play above the rim. Um, and that's what allowed me to get recruited to play Division One basketball. You know, and but but everybody should have their own form of strength shoes. Yeah. You right. know, just conceptually. Um, and what that means is that we don't allow ourselves to make excuses for our weaknesses. Mm-hmm. You know, and so for me, while I was in college and I knew that I had all of these insufficiencies, you know, I was introduced to two um, black um, historical figures that, that really transformed my life. You know, the Malcolm X and, and Frederick Douglass, who both essentially taught themselves how to read, mm-hmm. you know. And so when I learned about that, you know, I was like, wow, you know, they did it. You know, I could do it, too. And so I actually, uh, man, I, I actually I, I sold every form of entertainment that I had, my PlayStation, television, you know, everything. And I used the money to buy books. And, and I, I read and I actually taught myself um, how to how to read, you know, and, and how to keep up, you know, in college. And so as far as the Harvard Diversity Project is concerned, man, you know, just I, I, my career took off with with debate. I was recruited out of college to move to Atlanta to teach at a, a middle school, a prestigious middle school in Atlanta. Um, there I started the debate team. Um, and, you know, they became so highly trained in debate that competing at middle school tournaments was no longer competitive for us. And so to challenge them, um, you know, they started to get real boastful and I needed them to be, you know, humbled a little bit. And so I said, well, I'll tell you what, y'all think y'all so good. The next tournament we enter is going to be a high school tournament. And they were like, ooh, so scared, right? Mm-hmm. But I needed them to get their butts kicked. And so mm-hmm. we went to this high school tournament, man. Uh, at first, you know, the National Speech and Debate Association wouldn't allow me. They said, nah, it's not really something that we do. We don't allow middle schoolers to compete in high school tournaments. It's not fair. So, man, we went to this tournament. Um, and for the first time in the history of the NSDA, um, as a middle school, we went undefeated at a high school tournament. Mm. And um, mm. and there was actually, um, there was an instructor there um, from the Harvard Debate Council. And she said to my students, I want to meet your coach. Um, and she came up to me and she said, there's something I think you'd be perfect for. She said, I think you should teach at Harvard. Wow. Wow. It's, um, as we talk about this, Brandon, it's preparation, right? It's. It's preparation, it's retention, it's it's a path that you have to follow. And when people put it to you in a way that you can understand it and it's and it makes sense to you, it's easy to get on that train and then that train starts to roll. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's, that's how it happens, man. And so, you know, after I got to, to Harvard, so are, are you familiar with the, um, 
the summer residency um, that we have at the university. No, share it with my audience. Yeah, so every year the Harvard Debate Council hosts a uh, summer debate residency where about 400 um, gifted students and debaters um, from over 25 countries around the world, they converge on campus um, to study under um, acclaimed debate professors. And that residency concludes with a program-wide tournament. Um, well, while teaching there, um, I noticed there weren't many students that looked like me. You know, um, I knew there weren't really any African-American students. And so I thought about the kids back home that I trained. I said, you know, there are so many kids, so many black kids who deserve to be here, but they can't afford the tuition. And so I had a conversation with my um, boss on campus and I said, listen, we got to do something about this. And I asked them to give me permission to build a bridge um, for students, black students in Atlanta to be able to study at Harvard on a full scholarship during the summer and to compete in that tournament. And so um, they gave me permission um, to launch this pipeline program um, under the on the one condition. And that is <clears throat> that I had to raise the money to fund all the tuitions. And so, uh, so we accepted our first group of students, you know, I taught them uh, on the weekends. I was so radical about what we've done is that I target students who have never been exposed to academic debate um, to send them to Harvard to debate against the top debaters from around the world. You know, so obviously there's an educational disparity there because the kids that I teach in Atlanta, you know, come from, you know, inner city schools and public schools. Whereas these kids, they debate against at Harvard, you know, attend boarding schools and prep schools and private schools, you know, so the playing field is is not level. And mm -hmm. so what I do is to, to make sure that I send them there prepared. I teach them every Saturday for about a year and I introduce them to higher level academic disciplines that are not typically available in the traditional school setting. So I teach them philosophy, I teach them rhetoric, I teach them political science and sociology, um, the humanities and all of that, you know, and all of that coalesce, um, coalesces at the end into debate training. And so uh, we did that the first year, um, sent those, those kids to Harvard. Um, and it's crazy, man, because when, you know, 25 black kids pulled up on campus at Harvard, you know, everyone was looking like, what in the world is this? <laughs> you know, like they'd never seen such a thing, you know. And so and, and our kids, man, you know, I, I tell people this, this is this program is a place where scholarship meets culture. So we took our culture right up there with us. And you know how, mm -hmm. you know, we do, man, we're walking the hall singing and dancing and you know, it was kind of hurtful because people looked at them and said, oh, those are the affirmative action kids. Wow. You know, and, um, and of labeled course, you again, know, many huh? of, labeled again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, I mean, many, many of those kids don't have experiences with black sure. kids, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and, and what they know about black people is what they see on television, you know? And so of course they made that assumption about our kids, but man, when they got in that classroom, you know, it was a completely different story. Um, and, and our kids didn't just win. They dominated that tournament and mm. it broke national headlines. And, you know, then after that, you know, the question remained, well, you know, but can they do it again? You know, was it a fluke? And we accepted the next year a brand new cohort of 25 students, trained them for a year, sent them to Harvard. This time they didn't just win, they went undefeated. Mm. And so, <laughs> you know, so here recently uh, after that, we came back to Atlanta, accepted a brand new cohort. 
Um, sent them up to Harvard last month, and and again we won. Um, so we've now officially won three consecutive championships at Harvard. Wow! Congratulations, Coach. <laughs> yeah, thank you, brother. Thank you so much. Congratulations. What makes a great debater? There are a lot of things that make a, a great debater. It's not necessarily um, formulaic, mm-hmm. um, but it but it is it it is in intuitive and it is emotional um that is having the ability to think critically um but and to communicate effectively um but then also having this innate sense of tenacity you know um and so and that's why i love it so much because it it reminds me so much of uh you know the sports that i played growing up you know but but with now you don't fight with your body you know, you fight with words. Um, and so it's, it's, it's so beautiful to, to watch um, people wield words like weapons, you know, and, and those words can be destructive, you know, in one sense, but they can mm-hmm. be constructive in another. And so we love, you know, taking young people um, and, and teaching them how to um, win people with the words, how to start movements, with the words, how to galvanize and empower and embolden people with their words. And that's important because debate is at the heart of democracy. Mm-hmm. And so when we look at what's happening in our world, you know, it's, it's critically important that we teach young people um, how to engage and we teach them how to debate and exchange ideas. We're talking to Brandon P. Fleming, assistant debate coach at Harvard University and founder CEO of the Harvard Diversity Project here on New York Sports and Beyond on 98.7 ESPN. Brandon, take me back when the first set of students that you trained and won have come back and have reached out to you and have said, you know, this is what I'm working on now, uh, Mr. Fleming, this is what I'm, this is where I am now. What, what, what was that feeling like? What was that emotion? Take me back to that. You know, it was, it was surreal because when I first started the Harvard Diversity Project, yes, you know, part of the goal was to send black students to receive a summer education at Harvard. But the question is why? And, and the reason why is because when it comes to educational opportunity, like college admissions, for instance, a lot of times our black kids, no matter how gifted and talented they are, they can't compete. You know, um, when it comes to college admissions, because they're stacked against students, um, you know, who are privileged and have the opportunity to um, benefit from summer enrichment at Ivy Leagues every single year, you know, every single summer of their high school tenure. You know, whereas many of our kids can't even afford summer enrichment in their own cities, let alone traveling, you know, up the coast to, to an Ivy League. Um, and so, you know, I, I knew that by creating this opportunity, it would um, position them to be more competitive in the college admissions process. And so it was surreal for me after that first group came back from Harvard and it was time um, for them to apply um, to college, um, finding out that it actually worked um, when several of our students received full scholarships to Ivy League institutions. Um, so that it was it was so fulfilling um because that was the end goal um and and by creating you know access for these young people um we're really able to change the trajectory of their lives and the lives of their families 
All right, let's get to the most important part of this, Brandon. Uh, how can people who are listening, if they believe they have uh, a student, a relative, or one of their kids, let's say in the Atlanta area, who uh, believe they can be part of this program, how can they do that? And uh, you mentioned earlier that you had to raise money. So that means donations are accepted, correct? Absolutely. <laughs> so if you would like to learn more about the Harvard Diversity Project, um, you can go online and visit us at harvardbcdp.org. Um, you're always welcome to, to donate um, on our website, or you can text Harvard to 44321. Um, and you can contribute that way. Um, we are on all social media um, channels with the uh, handle Harvard DCDP. Um, we have a YouTube channel and the search Harvard Diversity Project. And there's so much content on there um, where you can see the indelible impact that we are making in the lives of these students. So we, we hope that, you know, people will hear this and, and want to join this movement um, uh, of supporting educational equity because it makes all the difference. Brandon, I, I speak from experience. I need you to give me that information one more time because early in the morning on the Sunday, my pen ran out. I can't find my phone. <laughs> so I need, and I heard that and I'm dying to get that information again. So Absolutely. repeat it for me one more time. <laughs> Absolutely. The, the, most, the simplest way is to just Google Harvard Diversity Project and a ton of, of resources um, will be available immediately. Um, but if you want to visit our direct website, it is www.harvarddcdp.org. Um, we are also on all social media um, platforms using the handle HarvardDCDP. What's in the future, Brandon, for your organization? Um, well, right now, you know, we're going to continue to uh, build up these young people and uh, send them to Harvard. And, and in the future, um, our plan is for um, this program to actually evolve into a private high school for black youth in the Atlanta area. Wow. Wow. That's great. Brandon, listen, um, continue the great work, my friend, you and your staff and everybody uh, for saving our young people. Because, Brandon, we don't know where the young people you and your staff have reached where they may have ended up had it not been for you guys. Yeah. So uh, our extreme thanks. We have the information. We will get it out as much as we can. If you need something that's, you know, something that's taking place or you want to provide some more information, you have our number. Reach out. We're here. Thanks for a couple Perfect. of minutes Thank this morning. Thank you so much, brother. And, and keep up the great work. Thank you so much, man. Talk to you soon. That concludes this edition of New York Sports and Beyond. We thank you for listening. We'll join you during the week on ESPN New York tonight and right back here next Sunday morning on New York Sports and Beyond. For my all-world producer, the legendary Ray Santiago, I'm Larry Hardesty. The conversation continues right here on 98.7 ESPN New York.